The Athletic. Welcome to 1874, a podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club on The Athletic. I'm Dan Bardell, joined as ever by The Athletic's Aston Villa writer, Greg Evans. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of the subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts, including this one. So just go to theathletic.com slash villapod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash villapod. Greg, good morning. Villa off the back of a, a disappointing 1-1 draw at St. James's Park on, on Friday night. You weren't there. You watched it like us peasants on the TV. What did you make of it? Uh, it was a bit boring, wasn't it? To yeah. be honest, I've almost erased it out of my memory. In fact, before before this podcast, I, I watched the highlights back just to remind myself of of some of the the uh, the key key moments. And to be honest, there weren't many. No, wasn't I was there? So it was one of those games that we just kind of move on and forget about. Really, yeah, it's really disappointing, wasn't it? Because Newcastle have obviously been on on pretty patchy form. That's been polite. Uh, over recent months and you felt like it was a chance for Villa to, to get themselves going. We've, we've been stuttering a little bit ourselves at the moment, but being honest, I, I probably thought Newcastle shaded what was a very, very poor game. But but once Villa have got themselves ahead as late as they have, very, very fortunate, you've at that point got to go on and win the game, but Villa just weren't capable of doing that. Yeah, I think that's an accurate summary of, of, of the game in, you know, in general, really, I think the Villa weren't very good. Newcastle were a little bit better than I expected them to be. Um, thought Joel Linton had a good game, although still not really any end product from him. Um, thought Murphy came on and, and changed things up late on. Probably should have scored, hit the bar, but then set up the the equaliser right at the death. Um, and yeah, a little bit a little bit different and disappointing from Villa really because we've we've become used to when Villa going ahead. When Villa go ahead, they they typically hold on and and um, go on and get the win, but they didn't this time, unfortunately. And that's, yeah, it's just one of those games where I just thought a draw was probably the accurate fair result. So, um, you know, in the end, honours even was was right. Talking of Murphy, I think according to who scored, he got the highest average rating for the whole, for the whole game. And he was only on the pitch 10, 15 minutes. So I think that probably tells you absolutely everything you need to know about Friday night. You did a piece after the game saying, basically saying that Villa must play with with the number ten, I mean, you and I had had a conversation, didn't we? I can't remember if it was during the game or after the game, and we were talking about the change of formation, the the playing with the two number eights at the moment, and how it perhaps leaves Watkins a little bit isolated. That piece was a while ago now. Just just want to talk about your discoveries a little bit. Yeah, well, I thought a couple of mitigating circumstances for starters. Obviously, Villa didn't have Jack Grealish again. They lost Bertrand Traore after what fifteen or sixteen minutes. So that didn't help. That certainly didn't help. You know, that's their two best ball carriers, their two most um, you know flair, creative type players uh, missing from the team. So it was always going to be difficult for Villa to create anything, um, you know, of real note from there. Trezeguet had that one little darting run into the box, didn't he, when he shot and probably should have crossed. Um, didn't think Al Ghazi did too much. Barkley didn't really do anything when he came on either, did he? So um, I just think that number that number 10 type position, um, you know, where we've seen a few different players play there this season, just feel like it's almost gone a little bit, it's gone a bit stale up there, hasn't it? I mean, well, I mean, to be honest, Villa aren't, the last few games, they haven't even been using a number 10. They've been 
as you say, using the two number eights. Now, Jacob Ramsey coming through in the under 23s was that number 10. He was a guy who liked to get into the box, score lots of goals, um, you know, get, get, get chances, etc. He's, he's, his average positions that I've looked at when he's played, they've been a little bit deeper now. Um, Dean Smith was asked after the game by, by a reporter what he thought of, of Jacob Ramsey's performances so far and, and where he can go going forward. And he described him as a number eight. You know, he said that, he said, you know, he's, an, he's a number eight, he's playing as a number eight, but, you know, we want him to be attacking and, and we want both him and, and John McGinn to get more into the box. And, and that was the demands on them in the Newcastle game. But I just felt that they didn't really do it. I'm having a pop at Ramsey at all, very early in his development, very early in his Villa career. But do you think he should be playing as much as he is at the moment? And, and do you think when he is playing, he's perhaps playing it a, a little bit safe? As I say, I'm not having a, a pop at him at all, but I feel like he's re- restricted a, a little bit when he's playing. When, when he runs with the ball, it's lovely. But I, I've not seen a lot of that in his last few starts. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Jacob Ramsey. I think he's going to be a really good player. And I think that this is the this is the season where he probably doesn't want to put, you know, he probably doesn't want to do anything wrong when he's on the ball. Um, maybe he's not been as expressive as he as he was um, when he's in when he's in the under twenty threes and and the pressure's off him and he's up against much lower standard players, um, you know, in opposition. I feel that if he had. If he had someone like Jack Grealish alongside him, that, then that would certainly help because yeah, it, would bring, that's where it would free up a lot more space for him. And um, but you know we, we can't look at it like that. You, you've got each individual has to go and do their own thing. And as we spoke about in the last podcast, didn't we, Dan? You know, Villa have got six six midfield type players all fighting for three positions, and, and I don't think we can really say which is the strongest three at the moment or which three deserve to be playing in the Spurs game or which three should have played against Newcastle. It's all very, you know, it's all very up in the air at the moment. And, and I think that's what Villa need to find out. They need to find out the, that right balance, you know, to, to mix um, defence and attack perfectly. And they're just not quite getting it at the moment. But I certainly don't think it's Ramsey's fault. I think that, yeah, maybe he's been a little bit safe, but um, I think it's only natural really for a youngster to do that. Yeah, because I, I honestly was so impressed with him in his first start against Wolves. I thought I thought he was absolutely brilliant at, at Molyneux on that, that Saturday lunchtime before Christmas. I was really, really impressed w- with what I saw. You say we don't know our best midfield, but Villa were at the best when they were, were quite settled. We, we knew what the team was going to be every week. I think you, you alluded to that in, in your article a little bit that I read again this morning. I get why he has changed it around a little bit this morning. He's, he's trying to find the right combination because because we've been stumbling. But is there an argument to just, we need to play the same kind of midfield for a few games running if we're to get the best out of ourselves again? I mean, yeah, I think so. If you look at the teams that have been performing quite well this season, um, you know, take Man, take Man City aside and, and, and obviously Chelsea have been hit and miss throughout the season and, and they're doing really well now. But if you look at, say, West Ham, They've had a really nice midfield blend between Suchek and, and Rice throughout the season. Um, you know, both offer two different things. Rice can sit deep, um, be a little bit destructive, but also be efficient with the way he plays the ball. Suchek, as we know, has, has been a threat from set pieces and scored quite a lot of goals and, and can also play a little bit as well. Um, and you look at Leicester when they've been performing really well and Didi and Tielemans have been mixing it together well in, in the midfield. Um, it just feels like... Villa knew their Villa knew their starting eleven almost didn't they at the start of the season? Um, you know it, it, it was Louise Barkley and and um, and McGinn, 
and there was a nice blend there. But then Barkley got his injury. Jack's obviously got his injury since. Um, and, and that has really, really hindered Villa, unfortunately. They've lost the best player and the other players around them aren't stepping up. What you need when Grealish isn't playing is, you know, four or five individuals to outperform their sort of average performances. And, and they're just not doing it, unfortunately. And until they do, Villa won't be getting wins. Yeah, I think that's what Barkley was brought in for, wasn't it? So it wasn't just an onus on Jack to be the creator. And if Jack wasn't out, Villa had another maverick midfielder who could make stuff happen. But for whatever reason with Barkley, it just isn't happening at the moment. He, he came off the bench again. I'm not for one second saying, saying he was brilliant. But he, when he came on, he, he might try 10 things and maybe only two of them will come off. He probably showed the only bit of class from Villa in the game. I thought when he chipped that ball into to Watkins and we, we got a chance from it. With his loan spell kind of coming to an end a little bit, do you think what Villa are going to do? Is he going to get back in the team? Are Villa now just going to sit him on the bench for the for the rest of the season with no intention of buying him? What, what's your gut reaction to what's going on? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of the um, in terms of Dean Smith's team selection because yeah, I mean, I'm struggling to to pick the the three out of the six that that we've mentioned previously. Um, I think if Grealish comes back in, I'd like to see Barkley back in there next to him because I think the two of them have a good understanding when they're both on the pitch together. You know, we got to we got to remember Traore as well. Um, he was brought in to be this maverick type player as well, a player to um, occupy defenders and then quickly switch the play over to the side where Grealish is, and hopefully there'd be more freedom there. Um, you know, and, and the, they've had injuries now to to, to Traore, Grealish, and Barkley, and. Okay, it was going well at the start and there was a settled team, but it's just been really broken up too much, hasn't it? And I think the key is getting the players back, getting that settled team, getting that settled feeling again. And yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see Barkley playing, but but maybe only if Grealish plays. If he doesn't, I think that there are better combinations to turn to. Is it a case of Villa's not big, I don't want to say big players because every, every player's big, obviously, but a lot of Villa's creative, more creative players have have all just hit bad form at the same time. Is that is that a coincidence or is it something deeper rooted with Villa? Look, I mean, I don't like to call Villa a one-man team because they're not, and it's it's harsh on the rest of the players because that you know they're all doing their job and and they deserve credit for getting Villa into the position that they're at the moment. But they're just not the same without Jack Grealish, and I mean that they need to they need to discover a way to to hit top form. And for me, the, the games without Grealish, they just haven't got out of second gear. There's not one performance where you can look at it. I mean, even the win against Leeds, yeah, a good win, Leeds a decent side, but I mean, they, they weren't. It wasn't a sparkling performance, was it? No, it's backs to the backs to the wall and just just doing what you need to do. Villa go, you. I mean, this is the thing on on Friday. Villa went one nil up, and in my head, I'm sat there at home thinking, right, game over. Because <laughs> when Villa it. go one nil up, they they win. And to be fair, at the end of the game, I saw a lot of stuff on social media when we conceded, saying our typical Villa. Conceding in stoppage time has not been typical Villa this season. Villa have, have snuck games late on more often than they've conceded. I don't remember another game where we've let in a goal in stoppage time that's cost us points, to, to be fair. So I think calling it typical Villa is really, really unfair. That was a, a rare lapse. I mean, the goal really, really annoyed me because I thought Villa could have done more to, to cut it out. I thought, thought McGinn should have closed down a cross a lot quicker and, and made it difficult. And I just I just felt it was an avoidable goal. Al Ghazi could have got rid of it earlier. He tried to do something clever. And we've ended up losing the ball, and they've scored off the back of it. But that hasn't that hasn't been Villa, has it this this season? Conceding goals like that, Villa have been the one scoring them. No, no, no. no I mean, not at all. Look, I, I feel for supporters at the moment because the only way that they can vent their frustration, or the only way that they can 
um, you know, express their emotions is on social media at the moment. But if you look at Twitter after the, after a game where Villa haven't won, I mean, the sentiment is just, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's like it's the end of the world. It's like Villa are getting relegated. You know, there's a, there's a meltdown after every time um, they don't get a win. But, you know, the, this is this is where supporters across the country are at at the moment. It's not just at Villa, it's at every club. You know, if something happens, they're all watching on the telly. None of them are able to go to the game and just... You know, shout their head off or whatever, or, or get behind the team. It's um, you know, it's easy to just type, "Oh, for fuck's sake, Villa have lost again" on, on Twitter, isn't it? And 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 it's it's an easy one to to say, but they haven't given away many goals this season in in, in stoppage time. So I mean, in general, you know, for for a, for a while, yeah. And and it's like, they, I mean, they haven't given many goals away, have they? You know, they've had fourteen clean sheets. Only Man City have had more. So. Look, you, you can't you can't complain at the defence this season or, or the um, you know one error like that because for the rest of the season they've been super. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's probably only two teams at the moment, I would say, where fans will be absolutely really happy. With, with what they're saying week in, week out. Obviously, Man City, who are going to win the league at a canter. And probably Chelsea, since Tuchel's come in. Mm. And, and West Ham, aren't they? West Ham are doing really well. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, three teams. Even that, that, that can have inconsistent moments. That Every team is, is really inconsistent at the, the moment, pretty much, aren't they? It's difficult to get rhythm. I think Dean Smith's been saying that. You're, you're no better than me because you speak to him after games. But he's been saying teams are struggling in general for consistency at the moment, and we're just one of them. Yeah, he is, yeah. And and he's right to say that. You know, there, there are 16, 17 teams in the division. They're all trying to find their rhythm. But, you know, D- Dean Smith has to face up to Villa's problems. He can't... He, you know, he can't deflect it and say that other clubs are struggling too. You know, he needs to to get Villa going again, and um, you know, I'm confident he will do that. And you know, I think that over the course of the season, if you look at the amount of points that they've accumulated, then you know, it's a really good season. So yeah, you know, look, the, the level of coaching at Villa is impressive. You know, they've got a good mix there with Craig Shakespeare, obviously experienced, John Terry, a new up and coming manager in the future, and and um, and Richard O'Kelly, who would will obviously be Dean Smith's long-term tried and trusted assistant. So, you know, there's a good mix there, a good blend. The players like training, you know, that they're very motivated to go into training because training schedules are always different. And, um, you know, Dean Smith's changed the the, the 10.30 start time to 12 o'clock to a cup. Now I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's something that the players, obviously modern players want, you know, that they, they go to bed later, don't they? And and typically want to get up later. So, you know, why, why rush them in at, at 10.30 every day when, 
Um, you know, if, if they want to get up at 10 o'clock or whatever, then they'll be more productive at midday. It, it makes total sense to me, especially in this lockdown when, um, you know, they haven't really got much to do after the, after training as well, have they? So if you shorten the sort of, you know, if they have a lie-in and then get home a little bit later, then no, true. they haven't got as much downtime to just sit around waiting. Has that been all season? They've done that with the times. So is that a, a recent change? No, I think it was at the start of the season. Yeah, I think okay. it was something that they, they decided... Um, uh, during the during the summer break, yeah, yeah it's pretty pretty good decision. I mean, to be fair, it'd be nice to start work at, at ten thirty, let, let alone twelve. I like my sleep. I like I like my lying. So, fair play. That must be a good life being a footballer, mustn't it? How important is it that Villa just don't not, don't let the season fizzle out because it's been a very good season, whichever way you look at it. But it is always important to, to end a season well, isn't it? Villa ended last season well and stayed up, and they took that momentum into the start of the following season. Villa don't want to now just have a, a stodgy end to the season where they're picking up points here and there. Dean Smith's always notoriously end the season well. Villa have done for the last two years under him. It is important that they do get going again and, and end the season on a, on a high note, isn't it? Yeah, and, and and Smith was asked this question specifically after the last game and his response was, well, we started the first 11 games really well. Why can't we finish the last 11 games really well? And yeah, you know, that, that is the challenge for him now. Um, yeah, you're right. Over the years at, at Warsaw, at Brentford and, and at Villa, typically a Dean Smith team has always strengthened towards the end of the season. So, you know, if, if that continues that this season, then that's exciting. Um, you know, Villa, Villa could still finish with a flourish, but they don't want to be that type of team that, that drops off like Sheffield United did last season, like, like Crystal Palace did as well. Um, because then you're automatically fighting when you start back next season and then there are questions over... Um, you know whether the, whether there's the right leadership there, whether the players are the right players, and whether things need to change so much. But if Villa can Villa can have a nice end to the season, they can approach the next summer transfer window um, with a lot more hope and, and maybe just try and fine tune a few areas. It's a terrible analogy, but do you remember when Charlton used to like get to they'd have, they'd have a good start to the season, they get to forty points, and then they'd they'd end badly because they'd essentially achieved what they they set out to achieve, but then they actually would end up not going on to achieve. Europe or something that, that would have been possible. How, has that happened at Villa? I don't, I don't for one minute think it has. Do you think we kind of hit 40 points, realised we're safe and we took our foot off the pedal a little bit? No, I don't think so, Dan. I think that, um, you know, we, we, can't, we can't compare them to, to, to that example because it's only Villa's second season. I did say it was a bad example. <laughs> I mean, look, it's Villa's second season back in the Premier League. They, the, 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 the first aim this season was to stay up again. Um, that's what I'm saying and, and, that's and what they've, I'm they've done that they've done that and and no they're not taking the foot off the gas yet in the back of their minds they'll probably be thinking well we don't have to win every single game now like we did probably last year when you know literally Villa needed to go into games winning because they needed to stay up um, they've done that now but they're, they're, they're not taking the foot off the gas they, they want to they want to finish as high as possible there were, there were a large number of players in that group that only a few weeks ago still thought European place was possible and look if they go and beat Tottenham on on Sunday they're only I think they're only one one or two points behind Tottenham with a game in hand then so there's still that chance that if they go on a decent run of I don't know if, if they get what six or seven results there's six or seven wins out of 11 there's still a chance they can get into Europe if they do any better then yeah um, there's an even greater chance so it's not over that the, the onus is on them now to go and put a run of, of results together and um Every team in the, in the division has a little bit of a wobble and it feels like Villa's wobble has been over the last few months. But 
that wobble is really nowhere near as bad as it has been in previous years, as it because they've still continually picked up points. So um, it's on them now to just to just put in the performances more than get the results. Where would the club be at if if we did qualify for the Europa League? Let's say, would the club feel ready? Because you kind of feel we're ahead of schedule. You know, Villa got promoted. That felt a little bit <clears> one year ahead of schedule. Where we are now probably feels a year ahead of where I thought we were going to be as, as well. If Villa were to qualify for the Europa League. Would they be ready for it? Right now, that, that squad is not ready for the Europa League, no. But going into the summer and having to make transfers and stuff, would they, I'm not saying would they be happy to qualify? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, look the, the ambition of, of these owners, of Dean Smith, of, of, of some of the key players, is to become a European football team again, is to be in and amongst those top six, seven, eight you know, teams regularly every single year. So... Yes, the football club is ready. The stadium's ready. The the the, um, the support base is ready. Villa Park will be packed out every single European game. I'm I'm convinced of that. If if they get into Europe, the club is ready. The the owners are ready. They're willing to back Villa. You know, in their quest for for success in Europe and to get into Europe. Um, so yeah, you know, why not? They they're going to spend money again in the summer on improving the squad. So if they're already in Europe, then maybe that, that money will be spent even heavier. If we were to get there, would you say that's ahead, ahead of schedule though? Yeah, totally. Look, you know, Villa didn't expect to be finishing in the top six this season. So if they finish in the top six, it's an absolutely unbelievable achievement. And they wouldn't be just one season ahead of schedule for me. There'd be two seasons ahead because this season was about uh, consolidating. If, if they finished anywhere between 8th and 14th, that's a good season for me this season because last season they stayed up literally in the last few minutes of the season. So, you know, all they wanted this season was a more comfortable season. Um, and then next season, the pressure would have been on to be closer to competing for the, those European places. But even if they didn't get in, I still wouldn't say that they that they were expected to. So if they get in this season, it's an absolutely unbelievable achievement. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think the club is in, an, is in an excellent place. Like you say, it's just a, a little bit of a bad run. Things are heightened at the moment because we can't be there. We can't air our frustrations, the world, not as we would like it. I think short term, it's okay to be a little bit annoyed with the with the form and the, some of the performances because some of the performances ha- haven't been good. But I think when you look at the bigger picture, amazing feels a bit of a, bit of a strong word, but do, do you know what I mean? The bigger picture of the football club is that they're in such a, hel- a healthy and such a good place and, and, and that's a really good place to be. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, the thing is, if you look back now, they, they haven't lost any of their real key players now for a couple of years. They've, they've managed to keep Jack Grealish. Don't jinx it. Year after year, which is a really big thing. Um, they've gradually increased their spending each year, which is uh, which continues to show their, their ambition. You know, that the, the, the transfer fees that they paid in the last transfer window um, at a time when coronavirus was really threatening, you know, the existence of some clubs was, was quite pleasing because it just shows, um, you know, how, how well backed they are. Um, by the two billionaires in charge, and and they're they're just they're a club that's gradually moving forward. You know, there's nothing to be worried or concerned about anymore. It's it's it it should be happy times being a Villa fan at the moment because they're only going in one direction. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. I feel like, because obviously there's no fans in the ground at the moment, I know that's the same for, for everyone. You're saying Villa have held on to their, their best players the last few years. At some point, has there got to be some kind of money c- coming in? So, so to speak, because surely it's not sustainable to just go around spending 100 million every summer, but not really with anything coming in. At some point, a villa going to have to sell someone. I wouldn't say they would have to sell someone, but what I would think that they would do in the future is if they're buying players and increasing their value. Which they have done. Through their performances, which they have done, yeah. If you, if you look at the majority of that team now, it's now worth more than the money that they paid for them. I mean, if you just look, just take the back uh, the back three, the triangle of Emi Martinez, Esri Konza and Tyrone Mings. That cost 50 million to, to be put together. That's now worth 100 million, I'd say. So, you know, they are increasing players in their value for sure. Um, what I think Villa will probably do in the future is they will see it as good business to move on maybe one or two individuals for a higher amount of money. Um I mean, you know, look at Wolves, for example. They signed Hotter, uh, Diego Hotter, and, and then sold him on for £45 million to Liverpool. You know, if, if an opportunity potentially comes up like that, Villa might see that as good business and then move one of the one or two players on for more money and then reinvest. Um, you know, what, what you've got in, a te- in the sporting technical director there, now Johan Langer is um, a, a talent spotter who has picked up bargains on the continent for, for Copenhagen, flipped them and sold them on for much higher amounts. So again, the onus will be on him to try and pick out a few bargains as well and bring those in and and, and maybe um, integrate those into the squad. So that that's another interesting dynamic. But yeah, you know, I, I don't see why Villa, if, you can't just think that Villa are going to keep every single player because it doesn't make natural business sense. You know, you have to move players on eventually. And, and, and if you can get a really big profit for them, why not? Because put your backing in your scouting team, in, in your um, sporting director, in your manager to go and find a replacement for half the price. Yeah, you use Wolves as an example there of, the, of that strategy, though. And I would say, has that strategy worked for them? Because they're, they're a worse side this season without the players that they've let go. They are totally. I agree. I, I agree with that. But if you look at Hotter at the back end of last season, he wasn't in the team. So, you know, he wasn't playing regularly. So they, they saw that as, as good business. You know, they, they were moving him on to Liverpool. He wasn't a regular in the team. I suppose what they didn't expect was that Jimenez would, um, you know, pick up his injury. That, that's, that's been uh, tough for him. Yeah, that hasn't helped. There's an argument over whether Semedo um, is any better than Doherty. Probably isn't. I think that, um, you know, they maybe made a mistake there. But again, that goes down to your scouts, your transfer, um, uh, your recruitment staff. And, and the onus on Villa will be to get, to get better players in if they do move any on. But at the moment, I, I don't see there being an issue. Esri Konza, they, they, they're confident that they can tie, um, tie him down to an extension at the club. Yeah, the, there is interest from Tottenham and other Premier League clubs will be will be keeping a close eye on him now because he's been sensational this season. But 
Villa don't envisage losing him. Um, they keep, they've kept Grealish for for a couple, good couple of seasons now, and and you don't really see any of the other players being picked off, do you, at the moment? No, I do think it's a, a worthwhile discussion though, because over the years, Villa haven't had players that have gone up in value. Villa have sold players at a loss nine nine times out of ten. We can't have made much money in terms of player sales over the last two three years. Any any money of, of real note, whereas as you say. Martinez, Conson, Mings, they'd all go for more than, than Villa paid for them. I mean, McGinn was bought for two million. He'd go for more. Louise would go for more. We know that Jack would probably be hitting around 100 million. Even Watkins, who was a big, big outlier for the football club, I would say he's gone up in value since, since he's been at the club. So it's a, it's a healthy place to be. Obviously, you don't want to say your best players, but it's, it, I think it's a worthwhile discussion because at some point, like you say, it does make business sense to, to, to move someone on. You mentioned concert at the time of filming. We don't actually know whether he will be in, in the England squad that's announced at, at, at two o'clock. What, what's your gut on that? I, I mean, look, I'd really like to see him in there. Southgate's come to... Because you picked your squad, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I, I picked my squad. Yeah, yeah. Look, it was a 30-man squad that, the, that our, our editor tasked us with doing. There's a lot of injuries, isn't there? We, we didn't know if Jack was going yeah, to be loads. fit. Um, James Madison's out, Sancho's out, Pickford's out. Um, uh, there's another key player I think but yeah I mean look there's a, a, a there's a lot of injuries so my point was that if Gareth Southgate's going to pick a 30-man squad then he's got to look at some of the players on the fringes some of the informed players at the moment for me Esri Cons is one of those Luke Shaw John Stones they both get in there playing really well Jesse Lingard probably deserves a recall um, and, and maybe a couple of the you know the strikers that have done well some a lot Patrick Bamford yeah he does why not take a look at him when the, when there are injuries elsewhere um yeah, I didn't actually include Bamford in my my squad. I'm not a massive fan, to be honest. If I if I if I'm honest with you, I, I don't think he would improve England. But he's injured that's as well. Just my take on things. Um, but yeah, I, I had three I had three players in three Villa players in my squad. It would have been Cons and Mings. I think Mings is still favourable because he's left footed and the majority of the the right uh, the centre backs are right footed. So he's a good option. And and I know Southgate likes his leadership qualities. And I think Watkins deserves deserves a go because. You know, I'd, I'd like to see Watkins in a team with even better quality players alongside him because I think, look, it's Harry Kane up front, isn't it? For me, with with with, with either Marcus Rashford alongside him or Rashford um, and and Sterling, and then obviously Grealish comes into the mix when he's fit. But I'd like to see Watkins, you know, in that type of team because I think he'd do really well. So why not? Why not? Why not have a look closer look at him this week? Yeah, be interesting to see what that England squad is like when it's announced. Touched on you, you obviously having to do your England squad for the Athletic. What else have you you've been doing for, for those that aren't subscribers? It's been a busy few weeks actually. I spoke with Mustafa Hadji at length for a couple of for a couple of hours, which was which was really good fun. Um, touched on his time at Coventry, and then you know it was a bit difficult for him at Villa. He, he felt like he he liked his time under John Gregory, but then um, I think Taylor come in and, and managed him after didn't he? And then, yeah. then it was David O'Leary who. Who he just didn't get on with, you know, the first the first meeting that he had with David O'Leary, he was told, "I don't want you." Um, David O'Leary wanted to sign Alan Smith from from Leeds in his position, um, and uh, you know that that was it for him, unfortunately. More, more O'Leary man management. I mean, we heard some stories from Martin last when we did a podcast with him, didn't we, about about O'Leary's man management? It doesn't sound top notch. Yeah, uh, I think if you were one of his favourites, then you then. You would have liked him, but if you weren't in the team or if there were any issues, then yeah, it seemed like he, he caused a few problems. I didn't get to know him, so I, I can't I can't speak too clearly until I you know I'd, I'd like to have got to know him. But 
just a little bit before my time. Yeah, but what else you've been doing? You had a, a, a lot. I enjoy your academy pieces because I, I feel like I, I learn a bit. You had a piece about a couple of academy prospects yesterday. Yeah, so the the, the Harrison and Miles Sona, they're two 18-year-old twins who play for Villa now. Um, I, I thought I'd do a piece on them before because no twins have ever played for Villa. So it was, you know, it's quite a... They're, they're trying to create a bit of history almost. And Harrison came off the bench in the 4-1 defeat to Liverpool in the FA Cup. Miles would have played in that game or featured, but he they, they're both living with separate host families um, in digs uh, you know, around, around the, the area. And Miles's host family had COVID, so he had to isolate and, and miss the game. So um, it's just a bit of a background really on, on the two of them, um, you know, their, their upbringing, what they could bring to Villa going forward, what they're like in the under-23 team. Miles... Looks a little bit like Tyro Mings. It's uh, it's funny, really, because he plays left centre back as well, and um, I think he quite likes Mings's style as well. So he's kind of basing his game a little bit off him. But um, yeah, two two talented players, and be interesting to see how far they can go. Yeah, it was a good read yesterday when I read it, and I, obviously you've mentioned Mustafa Hadji. You've you've tasked me this week with picking my top three import imports. Sorry, since Villa have, have been a Premier League team, so since the Premier League inception. Mustafa Hadji has not made my top three. You'll be surprised to learn. Greg, have you got any, any inkling of who I might have picked? Uh, I should probably give um, you my criteria first. I've actually come up with a criteria. And Gale's got to be up there, hasn't he? Well, he's not in there. I'll tell you Not that. in the three. Spoiler. No. Basically, I've had it, like, when I've done these top threes in the past, people on social media have always said to me, I need, I need to know your, your criteria because you haven't picked such and such. So I thought this week I've come up with a criteria. <laughs> Taking that up on yourself, have you my, done, top, yeah. my top three, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just thought I'd, have, thought I'd create myself an, an, an extra little task there. So I've gone with costs of the outlay that they would have cost Villa to, to bring in, whether it was a good deal or not. Length of service, whether Villa made a profit on them. And I put that they must have been signed from abroad. So Petrov, for example, wouldn't count because I don't class Scotland as being abroad. Bozzy came from Mania. I like that that you're taking the challenge that I give to you and then just completely putting your own stamp on it. That's fair. I think that's that's fair. If you're classing someone as an import, I think you need to have signed them from abroad, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, with that in mind, then I think you would have gone. Benteke, definitely, he'll be in there. Um, Melberg and... Oh, God. Larson? No, you've got two of the three though, so you've ru- you've ruined it. Might as well, <laughs> might as well, might as well end, end the show there. Yeah, Ben Teke was my was my number three, just because he he didn't cost much for Villa. I think he was at seven million, wasn't he? And they went on to sell him for thirty two and a half million, which is a an incredible profit fits in with what we were we were talking about earlier. Also, he scored an incredible incredible amount of goals in a in a, what was a really poor side. So. I just think he, for three years, Benteke was the main man. I think that goes down as a very successful signing, and I loved him. Number two, I've gone for Olaf Melberg. That comes down to more length of service and, and, and what he gave the football club, really. We didn't make a profit on him because he ended up going to Juventus on a Bosman, but he was just a, a good club man for, for five or six years, wasn't he, Melberg? And a, a top-class defender who probably could have moved on earlier, but Villa managed to hold on to him. And he hated Birmingham City, and he loved Villa. So he comes in. Number two, number one. I think he's been number one in, in a few things that we've done, to be honest, is, is Dwight York. Because if you're picking up a player from a beach, basically, which is what, what Villa did, and he goes on and gets sold for 12.5 million for Manu, wins the Champions League, plus scored a bucket loads of goals for, for Villa in the Premier League. 
I don't think that can be argued with, to be honest, as an import. That's as good as it gets. That's something and something like that just wouldn't happen nowadays, would it? A Premier League club would not find a player on a beach whilst they're whilst they're on a summer tour, bring him back with them and him sign for the club. It's like something out of Dream Team. Did you did you ever use watch Dream Team? No, I didn't. <laughs> it's like something out. It just wouldn't happen now, would it? So he has to be number one for me, York. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's quite sad, isn't it, that none of that every player almost is known now isn't it and you just get, you never get that you never just get that unearth that gem from somewhere random like a beach in the West Indies <laughs> I th- that's possibly in the Premier League era the biggest gem ever I would say yeah because you've literally paid nothing yeah, for yeah. him he's probably come across on minimal wage for, for a long time before he's he's really got going at Villa do, do you know what I mean that's just a I think it's like an underrated incredible story yeah really. no it is it really is isn't it I mean look you know all Villa fans know know him so well and obviously Man United fans with, with what he went on and did after but um, yeah indeed good shouts mate producer wanted me to say something about Peter Schmeichel but from my remember he wasn't very good for Villa <laughs> he, he, he was he, he was great for Man, Man, Man U he did okay at Man U didn't he but Villa, Villa got him at the tail end of his career he did Maybe okay at Man U that oh, bloody hell that's, that's the, a uh, joke that's Greg. The... <laughs> little joke okay. bit of humour fair enough <laughs> <laughs> but Villa, his, his best, his best was behind him, wasn't it? By the time he arrived at Villa Park, really. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just from speaking to players that um, that played with him around that era, you know, they said that he still had it, and he was still a bit of a miserable so and so, and demanded very high standards. But yeah, he, he he certainly wasn't at his best, was he? Um, wasn't at his Manchester United best anyway. Yeah, I've just remembered a bizarre story of watching Villa play a game at Blackburn away with Schmeichel in goal on the TV with, with my dad and Schmeichel started, started trying to do kid, like keepy uppies at the edge of his box and he got tackled and, and they uh, and I scored and my dad fell off his chair. I don't know, just, that memory has just come into my head for some reason and my dad falling off his chair when Schmeichel was doing uh, keepy uppies because my dad was just so irate, such a bad reaction. He just literally fell, fell off his chair. I mean, if he fell off his chair nowadays, he wouldn't be getting up, so... We can laugh about that, but we wouldn't laugh if, if it happened now. Greg, I think that that does us for, for this week's show, but a bizarre ending to the of Towers from, from my childhood. But thanks ever so much for dissecting the Newcastle game with me and looking a little bit into Villa's future as well. I think I think it's been a worthwhile podcast. Cheers, Dan. Okay, I thought you might add something more than that, but yeah, that'll do. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Up for Villa. Good. Great. I'm going to eat. Yeah, that was a bizarre, bizarre end to the podcast. The Athletic.